On this episode of Year One, we speak to Doug Peck, serum entrepreneur, investor, and founder of DAP Ventures, helping to bring products to market, consumer packaged goods consulting, and new product development. We speak about conviction and confidence, sell the sizzle, not the steak, building and exiting a business, viability study. Doug's openness and willingness to share is inspirational. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Klopis, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early-stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So, without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. Doug, welcome to Year One. Satish and I are really thrilled to have you on our show today. And I'm going to get to your business. And But before I get to your business, I would like to understand the man behind the business. We would like to understand a little bit about your background, even your childhood. What has happened in your informative years that has made you the person that you are today? Great start. I would, I would say that you prompted me to think back to when I was a kid. And mom always reflects back on the fact that my favorite book growing up was Curious George. And, and the thing about Curious George is he asked a lot of questions. And that, that skill that I started honing from the time I'm guessing I was four or five is something that I carry forward to today. You don't, you don't learn by speaking. You learn by asking questions and then listening. If you want to start there, <laughs> we can do that. But, but I would say that from an early age, I always believed that I would do something entrepreneurial. Uh, I'm a very independent-minded guy. I was born on April 14th, which makes me an Aries. So for those that uh, know zodiac signs, I'm the ram. And sometimes I'm the bull in the china store. <laughs> so... Um, it, it, it's really been an evolving, I would tell you that I came from very humble beginnings, a divorced family. My dad was a doctor. My mom was a property manager. Um, I, I could jump to when I was 13, a gift for my 13th birthday was a 35 millimeter camera. And I used that camera to then go to a Motley Crue concert and take pictures on the sunset strip. For those that know, that's where Motley Crue started out in the early 80s. And I saw them for the first time on Christmas 1981. And I just started taking pictures of the band in the Hollywood scene. And what ended up happening is my pictures made their way to the band leader, Nikki Six, who ultimately called me and said, hey, I'd like to come check out your pictures. So he came over to this 14-year-old's house at the time. And we developed a friendship, believe it or not. And wow. so the combination, this was, this was kind of the thing that happened. The combination of music, something I love, and business merged together somehow in those early years. And I became fixated on becoming the next David Geffen or Jerry Moss. David Geffen from Geffen Records, Jerry Moss from A&M Records. And I followed that through. We can jump forward to, I went to the University of Southern California to their business school, all only with the mindset that I was going to come out and work in the music business. And I, 
I was in the entrepreneur program my senior year. Part of the process to graduate was I had to write a business plan. And I, I chose that I was going to write a business plan on what? A record company. Because that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> so because this was the mid, sorry, this is 1988, where there was no internet, there really wasn't great access to information. So I thought, well, why don't I send out letters to executives in the music industry and just interview them? And that's how I can learn how to do the financials and the marketing and everything related to the music business, which was secretive to me. So I sent out about 50 letters. All 49 of the 50 letters that I sent out were sent to the human resources department where I received back letters saying, thank you so much for your resume. We will keep your information on file. And should a job opening come, we will be happy to let you know. And, and so I would call these people back and I'd say, I wasn't trying to apply for a job. I just wanted to interview this executive. So in February of 1989, my mom calls me up. I'm at school. I had moved on to another business, a business plan that is. She said, there's a letter here from A&M Records. Do you want me to open it up? And I said, it's just another one of those funny human resources rejection letters. Just save it. I'm going to be home over the weekend. I'll, I'll open it then. So I get home and I open the letter and I see it is from the office of Jerry Moss. What? Yes. Yes. And it said, and I have a copy I can show you. It said, Dear Mr. Pick, in regards to your interest to meet Mr. Moss, he would like to meet you. So please call wow. me and we'll set up a time to meet. So I set up this meeting. It occurred on May 11th, 1989, 4 p.m. I went to Jerry Moss's office, which happened to be the dressing room of Charlie Chaplin. If you happen to remember Charlie, um, one of the greatest original movie actors. A&M bought his lot and Jerry's office was Charlie's makeup room of all places. So, so I, crazy, Doug. This is the nuts of it all. So I go in and the idea was I was just to interview Jerry. That's all it was. And I'll share with you one question I was sharing with my sister the other night, which was one of the questions I asked him was, what was your greatest regret of business in your business so far? And he said, I had the chance to sign Prince. Now think about that. <laughs> think about that. This guy, he truly had the chance to sign Prince. And there was an interesting story around that we can come back to. But long story short, I interviewed him for 20 minutes. And um, at the end of the 20 minutes, he said, so what are you doing now? I said, well, I'm looking for a job in the music business. He said, how would you like to work here? And that started my journey at A&M Records. I worked there for two and a half years. And then when I turned 24, I took a look at my life and I said, I have no kids, no mortgage, car payment, and I have 15,000 in savings. I want to be an entrepreneur. And if I'm going to be, now is the time. So that's kind of the lead up. I hope that answered your question a little bit and we can kind of charge from there. My gosh, I got so many time I was in that conversation, Doug. I'm like, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question because I feel like you and I probably share as a serial entrepreneur, this inner voice of, of encouragement, a little bit of delusion, a little bit of optimism, ignoring the term entrepreneur. 
that's yeah. sexy, cool now. The eight-year-old, the young dog reading the Curious George book. How are you telling yourself you want to be an entrepreneur? What labels and terms, what did you know to go, this is what I want? Like, I want to hear what's the inner dialogue like back then. If I'm being really honest and authentic here, it stems from the divorce. You talked about how we might have some tears in this conversation. It stemmed from the divorce. And there was a hurt young boy that thought that wealth would provide the pathway to love and happiness. Wow. So that was what, that's what drove me was I experienced a lot of hurt and pain associated with the divorce and what was happening financially around me. And I'll tell you, I made a vow. This is the crazy story. I've never told this, certainly not public. Um, I made a vow when I was nine. Something occurred where my dad had lost his job. My mom told me that we were going to have to sell our house. She was going to have to get a job. My parents had recently separated in an acrimonious fashion that was just the epitome of unfun. And when she told me this, I recall running into my bedroom in tears and vowing in that moment that my future family would never go through what I went through. Gee. Wow, that was, man. That was the driver. If, if I'm really being honest, I can give you all the BS you want about, oh, I wanted to be wealthy and create all that good stuff. But it was that hurt little kid that was like, we're going to fix this. Mm -hmm. Wow, man. I think, listen, it's the inspiration that we need to live a life of impact. This origin is different for everybody. My parents weren't divorced, but they acted like it with me. <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't poor, but they mm -hmm. acted like it with me. And this control over the things and love made me vow something like you to go, I never want my finance, my emotions, and my ceiling to be controlled by anybody. And I didn't know what that meant other than as soon as I discovered entrepreneurship, that was religion for me. When people say you're a serial entrepreneur, I'm like, no, entrepreneurship saved my life. Yeah. And it's a religion when I think about how I operate in it. So I'm so glad you, you were, were deep enough to share that. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm, I'm actually speechless. I mean, there, there were some questions that I want to ask that you actually answered now with, with the response to Satish. But so this nine-year-old made himself the promise, I'm never going to allow this to happen, right? My and future had... family. I was yeah. nine. I mean, I really yeah. think about it. That, uh -huh. That's literally what it was about. I can recall that very clearly. But then jumping ahead. So you send out, you said 50 letters, right? And of that, most of them were rejections. How did you deal with that rejection? Given that you made that promise to yourself, you're now at this point into your life and all you're getting is one rejection after another. How is it that it didn't shatter your confidence or still gave you that, that conviction to move forward? I just think of one word that drives me when the word no or some type of rejection occurs. And that's just next. Moveon.com. <laughs> 
there's there's no time to waste on the past. It the past will not help the vision forward. And that's why I the word no doesn't discourage me. A rejection letter doesn't discourage me, discourages me because I am fixated on what I want. That's part of the ram, the Aries ram about me. I'm unstoppable when I want something. And and that's just how it is. There's there's a selfishness to it, but I believe that I'm coming from a place of contribution. Mm-hmm. And and that I've got value. There's something important. If if I'm on a mission, there's something important that I have thought through, I have put work into, I've prepared. And whether it was a presentation to Walgreens um, or there was a girl that I wanted to meet, nothing stops me. I love that. I would like to talk about your business now. Now, typically what we do is we ask the founder to tell us about their current business. But before we talk about your current business, I'd like to understand a little bit about Euros. And the reason why I'd like to understand it is how you went about and built it and you then exited. Yes. So I'd like to understand that journey a little bit before we talk about that, if that's all right. Sure. Well, where would you like to start? Because it's 30 years. I can I can take you through 30 years in about three minutes, or I can answer any questions that you have about about it. Well, let, let's start by, okay, so let's, let's look at some key points. Where did the idea come from, right? Sure. How did you grow it into this really successful business? And why did you decide to exit the successful business? Okay. You'll have to, rem- you'll have to help remind me of your questions. Yeah, of course. Mind. Well, why did I build it? Well, it started as an offshoot from my leaving A&M Records. So when I left A&M Records, the idea was that I was going to become the next David Geffen or Jerry Moss. And while I worked at A&M, I used that as a springboard. And I met a ton of people because the other cool thing about working at A&M Records was they had the best recording studio in the world. That's where every top artist recorded. And this spry, confident, 21-year-old Doug Pick would take his lunches at the steps of the recording studio. So why would I do that? Because Bruce Springsteen might walk in. I might have the chance to meet Bono. Um, I could tell you so many celebrities that I would, I literally stop and just introduce myself. And part of that was to build a network. Part of it was just fun. I'm very blessed in that I have an extremely fast recall for names and faces. So, and maybe that's part of growing up in Los Angeles, but the amount of celebrities and rock stars, people that I know today that are famous rock stars, I just happen to have a good knack for that. So, um, why did I start Heroes? Well, so I was uh, managing a, a rap artist who I felt was extremely talented, had all the characteristics of someone who could be a success in the rap industry. Unfortunately, we were misaligned in what he was focused on and what I was focused on. Um, he was focused on girls and a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of drugs. And I was interested in success. I wanted somebody who was driven. And so I learned really fast that for me, artist management was a lot like adult daycare. And so I couldn't control another human 
as much as I had the belief in him and the confidence that he could be the next, at the time, MC Hammer or Ice-T, um, I don't think he did. I just started looking at different business opportunities, and I came back to this space of earplugs because my brother had first introduced me to wearing earplugs when I was a senior in college. And he said, you got to try this. And I said, what? Wearing earplugs to sleep? Why would I do that? He says, because you're going to sleep like a baby. And he was right. And I had the best night's sleep. And I just used the product. And every time I would go to buy the product, just being an entrepreneur, I'm just kind of always in question mode, observation. What's this about? How could I do this better? And when I looked at this little niche category, I said, this is ripe for delightful disruption. And so I started studying everything about the market, everything about ears. And before I had known it, um, I had registered the trademark for this five-letter word, a six-letter word called Heroes, which I thought was really neat because it combined all the cool elements and it was yeah. very positive. The, the main thing about my brand was that it implied a friendly protector where the other brands in the marketplace weren't about that. And if anyone looks at the Heroes brands today versus the competition, seeing Heroes is like a movie opening. It's like lights are flashing and the packaging is very bright and there's 3D graphics and colors. And, and that's just, there's a bit of me in there, which is part of what my grandfather taught me, which is to sell the sizzle, not the steak. And what I added to his saying was, just make sure you have a good steak because eh, if you don't have I a good it. steak, they're not going to come back and they're, they're not going to take that second bite. So I was able to, I was able to secure that brand, the package in terms of the trajectory of the business. I went to market in late 1992 and I, and I built an outsourced model. And what that meant was from 1992 until 2008, I outsourced everything. It was just me and an assistant. And I grew from my first sale, which was to a small instrument store in Sherman Oaks, California. My first sale was $32.40 to, yes. yes. And, and starting by literally, there's a saying, it all starts at the kitchen table. I literally started at the kitchen table. I would make sales calls starting at six or seven in the morning. By two or three in the afternoon, I would start assembling at the kitchen table, start to prepare the orders, ship them that day. That then evolved to after the 1994 earthquake where my apartment got demolished. I had to move into my mom's garage where we then did assembly. I outgrew my mom's garage. And then I formed a relationship with a wonderful organization, which was called New Horizons. And New Horizons was one that helped mentally and physically handicapped adults to be productive. So by the time 2008 came around, the, the net net of what I had accomplished, the following. Number one, with New Horizons, we were providing 200 full-time jobs to mentally and handicapped adults that enjoyed assembling these earplug packages. And two, Heroes and its sister brand, Sleep Pretty in Pink, became the number one and number two best-selling foam earplugs in the country 
with distribution at Walgreens, Walmart, CVS, Rite Aid, Kroger, Albertsons, Guitar Center. We sold on tours. We sold everywhere. And the business was fabulously successful. I was selling 20 million pairs of earplugs out of a guest room in my house. With one, and was it still just Doug and assistant? And an assistant, yeah. Everything else was outsourced. Then that cascades into the economic correction of 2008, 2009. And, and the pivotal moment in that was that the retailers recognized that, at least for my category, that they viewed as a commodity, that store brand was a better, more profitable pathway to go. Um, and so while we maintain distribution in many accounts, also many of the big guys transitioned to store brand. And there was a lot of value for them to do that. I, I understood it. And so then I reached a decision of, well, I could stay as a distributor of 3M earplugs, which was a good thing, or I could take my saved pennies and I could charge forward with no experience at all into the build out of my own manufacturing facility. And there were a ton of complications associated with that. Talk about blood, sweat, and tears. It was all that and a lot of tears. This grown man was brought to my knees crying over the difficulty to get it right. Um, we ultimately did get it right. And then jumping ahead to your last question, which was about the exit, in 2016, what I realized is that while I had shepherded the company to a certain point, in 2016, I recognized that the financial requirements and the heavy lift that was needed for the business was going to be um, more than I could, I could handle. So I raised the white flag and I aligned. I did it all wrong. I'll say this. I did it all wrong in, in reaching out to my network, um, letting my network know that I was interested to align and really uh, sell my company. And fortunately, I ran into an entrepreneur that really liked what I had built, saw the opportunity. We entered into due diligence in March of 2018. And on Halloween 2018, my, all of my companies were acquired. I then worked for the company, which ended up becoming a, a billion dollar, um, very large company. And what was really cool in the time that, that I was there to fulfill my obligations, I was able to grow my 26 year old company 50%, grow the sales 50% in the first year and lead the company in gross margin contribution. So it really was, it, it was quite a journey. And, and I would say some people, some people say that life goes in cycles of seven years, almost to the day I went, I started my company in April, 2092, and I moved on from the company in April, 2020, exactly 28 years, four cycles. If you, if you consider that. So mm -hmm. that's incredible, man. I, I remember reading your story on the trip to Mexico, <laughs> going to jail. And when you were reading it, I didn't want to skip ahead, but I was like, man, I hope the thing didn't dry on his head and this is not a narrative coming out of jail. What was that like? Just going through that experience of just trusting humans and universe. 
Yeah. And, and for those, for those that are listening to this, if you go to dougpick.com, that story is listed as a case study on the site. And what was it like? It was really scary. It was really freaking scary because I had to figure this thing out. I, I wasn't figuring it out. And then by going through the jail process, learned what I needed to learn. And sometimes you have to just go balls to the walls to, to get to your end goal. And, and in that case, that's, that's where I was instructed to go. Phenomenal, man. Phenomenal. So, Doug, let's jump ahead. So, Euros, think later get acquired. You stay in a little bit to do a handover. And then you decide, you know what? There's still a lot more in me. I'm not going to go sit back on the sofa and enjoy the labors of my hard work. I'm going to go do something else. And you started Dap Ventures, correct? I did. And, and it's a really neat opportunity because you're correct. But before we started our call, you had mentioned that I'm in startup and it's true. I'm in startup with a lot of experience and a network and, and really an understanding of what to do and what not to do in many, in many cases. A lot of times I can think back to my earlier years, not having the experience or the, the hindsight, you go down pathways that just end up being learning experiences. So now I'm at a place where I can reflect upon certain things and, and either know, do I make the go decision or is it a no-go? And that's really an interesting thing because I'll share with you, when I moved on from an investment that I made, I, I worked in the metaverse. When I, when I moved on from Heroes, I made an investment in a metaverse company and worked there for about two years. Um, and then I came back to the consumer packaged goods industry because number one, I love it. Number two, I have a lot of friends in the industry and it, it's something that's just a lot of fun. It combines for me, artistry, strategy, analysis, and just doing things different. That, that for me is, is very important. So, um, oh gosh, I forgot, I forgot my, my, my point. Sorry. <laughs> no, not a problem. Sorry, Satish, I know you've got a question, but so you, 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 oh, you oh I'm sorry. Your... I, I do remember. I do remember. So, so you were saying about DAP Ventures. And, yeah. and the thing is, what I wanted to share with you about that was having been through all this experience and then in March of 2022, going back to CPG, what I did is I went into this startup mindset of I'm going to bring the next Heroes product to market. And so I spent all of last year researching and, and building out a new network because when I started my company, I had really just one form of distribution. That was brick and mortar. Well, today there's brick and mortar and there's e-com and, and there's Amazon on top of it. So there's a lot of different ways that it can go. And I wanted to become well-versed in that. I'll share as an insight all of that research from last year and exploring a lot of different brands, securing trademarks, URLs, building packages. With my experience, what I recognized is everything I had developed as of last year wasn't good enough to bring to market. And mm. I, I think it's really important to make that point. 
because what I learned in the USC Entrepreneur Program is what's called a viability study. And a lot of, a lot of people will get excited about this idea. They fall in love with their product, but yet they haven't cross-checked it to make sure that it makes sense because the investment that you're going to make is your time, your money, and potentially other people's money. And if you can't show that this is a prudent idea, you shouldn't do it. But a lot of times, and, and I, I've seen this, a lot of times people are like, oh, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread and this is so unique. And then you pepper them with one question and they're stopped in their tracks because they didn't think about it. So, so to build on that for us, Doug, because what I'm curious about is I've been to some accelerators. You've obviously done your own businesses and there's some proven models people use, the five whys. Ask yeah. yourself why five times and if at the end it makes sense, you still stay there or What's your total addressable market or what's your market fit? And it's all very academic. If yes. you're helping a new founder make sure that their product is viable, what are the one or two or three questions you want to ask them maybe as an investor or they should ask themselves? Yeah, it's great. I've been working on a course and so far my writings are just literally 200 questions. So I'm going to cherry pick, cherry pick some of the questions that I would ask. The very first question I ask in the entire course is, why do you want to do this? It's a hard one to me. Why do you want to do this? Because if you really know what your why is, that is the flame and the torch that you need to carry. You must carry. Another question is, are you comfortable being a leader? There are some people that aren't. Do you like people? Do you like making presentations? Are you analytical? That's just about you and, and who you at are as an entrepreneur. And by the way, I would say to anyone that answers no to those questions, that's okay. Sometimes you grow into it and yes. sometimes you just say, is not comfortable for me. Well, then maybe you bring on a partner who is comfortable at it. There, there's more ways to skin the cat. So that, I think the first part is it starts with you and really being honest with yourself because we're talking about your time. Time is money. You can't get both back once they're spent in many regards, okay? So I then, I would, then, then I would say that one has to look at the market, the competition, um, look at the vendors, look at what it is to start the business, the costs of doing business. What does your gross profit analysis look like? Can you afford the marketing? Can you afford a warehouse? There's, there's just so many different questions that one could ask themselves before they, they actually go down the path of, of actually making that decision to get started. We're excited to see the course come out too. Keep us in the loop. <laughs> well, I want to go back now. Can you please, for the benefit of our listeners, tell us what DAP Ventures does? Yeah, so it, it's actually threefold. The first aspect of it is helping others that have a dream like I had that are funded and have a pathway to actually 
bring a product to market or are in market to have extraordinary success. And for me to serve as perhaps a consultant, perhaps a partner, that all of the different situations are open. That's the way I would position that first part. The second part is there could be other businesses. Let's recognize that business is business. And while I have spe a specialty of experience in the consumer packaged goods space, I'm a businessman. And if there are other business opportunities that could fit for partnership, consulting, for coming in, many times there's new industries. People don't know what they don't know. And I'm very comfortable in the white space. Ambiguity is totally fine with me. Um, and then, and then the third is new product development that I, I, as the CEO and founder of DAP Ventures, wishes to pursue. And there are a few different products that I'm looking at right now that check the boxes for those opportunities. So it's those three areas that DAP Ventures covers. Okay. Excellent. And I want to go back now quickly to... You've got the benefit of having run your own business, having made some of the mistakes and been able to learn from those mistakes and apply it into not only your consulting in terms of helping other companies, but in your own business as well. And what are those invaluable lessons been that you are now? Well, we touched upon it in our earlier correspondence, which yeah. is number one, believe in yourself. If you don't, no one else will. Number two, trust your gut. Go with it. Listen to those, what I call, and, and Satish touched upon it, listen to those little whispers. I can share with you that when I, when I got the hero's brand name, I'm a spiritual guy. I believe in God. And I believe that that brand was delivered to me. And when it came, I knew it. There was no discussion. It was that's exactly it. That's what I'm going for. The third point would be honesty, integrity, being a straightforward person. The fourth would be ask questions. And five, be a force for good. I love that. I love that. I have, so I saw you answers and I've got a new startup trying to disrupt the K to eight education market. I believe that, that fundamentally Kids in that space need not just curriculum and academic, but they also need a bit of life and social, emotional, and financial literacy. So the, the kid that hated school, that got pushed out of school, is not trying to do something. But when you said in your notes, what would be the title of the book about you if your worst enemy wrote it? You said, striving for perfection, A plus is the only passing grade. Talk to yeah. me about that, that sentiment. Well, how does that apply? I mean... The A plus is the only passing grade in life. It's what I try and teach my kids. Um, mistakes are not, I, I shouldn't say mistakes, errors in a finished presentation, a document to me are unacceptable. And what I see a lot sometimes in the younger generations are simple errors and it's those small things that tell me about you in a sense. So I try my best and I'm not perfect, 
That's why I said striving for perfection. And, and the business world really requires that. The same goes for the personal world, which is if someone sends me an email or a text, I'm going to do my best to respond. Um, so just having respect for others, that's all kind of wrapped in that as well. So I hope that answers. See, the, 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 the reason I, I, I love what you said, and I've got a couple of kids and, and, and Diana and I chat about this sometimes. What is the role of a parent when so much of what we're supposed to teach, they already have access to, right? And sometimes even before we can get to them learning stuff, and if the world is full of, it's okay, just get by. It's another Canva template. It's another thing that you can just cut and paste and move on. Then where's the attitude of A+. And, and striving for it means you're going to build a little bit of a discipline and an edge and a commitment to something that, that it, you can't teach. You know, my first agency, I remember a year into it, we had about 25 people and I changed the name of the company to include the world's greatest digital agency. And my creative director said, we can't say that, man. It's too much of an of a emotional push for people. Imagine coming to work and in front of you and says, world's greatest. And I said, I look at it as if you want to be the greatest, you make different decisions. These micro decisions ladder up to potentially being the greatest. And, and when I saw that line, I'm like, hi, here's another person who gets this idea. But in today's generation, as you're out there networking and sharing and teaching your own kids, how do we bring this attitude to the next generation? I've tried to do it by leading by example. Just as you most, I'm sure you led by example in your company, you represented what you just said. When you stepped in the door, your team, I bet, knew that, what, was the, what were the words? World's greatest. Yeah, world's greatest. And, and you have no doubt that that's it. So leading by example and practice what you preach. So, you know, Michael that. Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Tom Brady, you can use all those guys. They're there several hours before the game starts, and they're probably hitting the gym or some type of review of how the game went afterwards. It's that championship mindset. It's not like, yeah, if I can do it tomorrow, I won't do it today. No, you can do it today and do it today. <laughs> I, I love that, man. I know that you have answered these questions, Doug, but I'm going to repeat two of them now, and that's for the benefit of early stage founders. And the first question then is going to be around the tools or software that you use that you found indispensable for your startup or for your business. Oh, well, so when I, when I thought about that question, technology is changing really fast. I mean, look, look at chat GPT today and yeah. what that can do for people, businesses, etc. Um, there's some good to it. There's some bad to it, but I'm going to approach it from a more fundamental standpoint, which is the, the part about practice and fine tuning your mind. You asked about rejection and how did I deal with it or how do I deal with it? Well, there are two books that I would highly recommend to those early stage founders. One of them is called The Greatest Salesman in the World by Og Mandino. And it's, it's the most amazing book I've ever read. 
it shaped my mind when I was 21 years old to who you're talking to today. No joke. And what's so cool about this book is, and I would recommend the, the hard copy, not the digital copy, but the actual paperback. Maybe it'll cost seven, $8. It'll be the best seven or $8 investment you ever make. Um, because what it is, is it's a 95 page book that is required to take you 10 months to read. Why? Because it's a story of a boy like me, um, who wanted to become a success and a merchant passes along these 10 scrolls and part of the curriculum. And I, I call it a course cause it truly is a curriculum. Part of the curriculum is that you are to read these 10 scrolls one at a time and you start with the first one and you read that first one three times a day, once in the morning when you wake up, the second time after you have lunch and the third time at night when you just before you go to sleep and you read it aloud to yourself. And what it does is it literally shapes your mind into these 10 scrolls and these 10 scrolls are like nuclear energy to those that want it. And, and what I say, and the thing about the reason why I say those that want it is because, um, I've never met anybody who has followed the curriculum other than myself. And I've given oh, wow. to a lot of people that goes to one's drive, but that book for me, you want technology that's internal technology. That is just amazing. And then the other one is the laws of success by Napoleon Hill. He's the grandfather of personal development. Um, and that book is like the Bible. It's, it's a more, it's a, it's a pretty big read and, and in it, you learn tools that again, can help you in these moments because Satish, you know, this, the life of an entrepreneur is really lonely. <laughs> it's Believe a, me. It's a lonely journey. And unless you have mentors and those around you that you can bounce off of, you're on your own. I call it the yo-yo principle. You are on your own. And that is those two books help you to become a warrior in the business world because business is war. You know what I love that you referenced an idea and I just added it to my Amazon as we're talking. Yeah. That was written in 1983, my guy. Yeah. And yeah. we're referencing it Absolutely. in 2023 yeah. and the wisdom of the old continues to deliver. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And Napoleon Hill was, he, he extracted, I don't know if Napoleon Hill's story, but he was a reporter and Andrew Carnegie wanted to share with the world how it was that he and Ford and JP Morgan and Firestone became these titans of industry in the early 1900s. So that type of tribal knowledge is there and you just got to get to it and read it. It's so powerful. Dion, I'm sending you a copy too. We're going to read it together. We're going to commit to 10 oh, months. That's I've, already, look, I've already been researching it this afternoon already when I was reading through the feedback from Doug. I went online. I needed to find this book. But I was, I was just going to say, I love that, that phrase that you used, internal technology. Mm -hmm. That was so brilliant because I think that absolutely 
encapsulated. We have to work on ourselves as well, not only focus on on what's out there. But I'm gonna go off. I'm gonna go off script completely. We end with three questions, but I'm not gonna ask those three questions. I'm gonna do slightly. I'm gonna ask two different questions to you, Doug. When we started out, you were talking about you had gone out and you had interviewed these people, and the question that you asked was. What's your biggest regret in business? And I'm going to turn that question on to you, if ooh, you don't mind. Ooh, okay. I, I may need a, a second to yeah, think about it. Mm. I knew you were going to do that, Dion. I was like, this man's going to twist it at the end. Oh, and my God. They're a curveball. My greatest regret. You know what? Again, full authenticity, bearing my soul. There was one individual that worked with my business for a long time and there was a there was a point in my business where my hair was on fire and i felt that that person as much as they were a wonderful person i felt that they were no longer an appropriate fit with my company and the way that i ended that relationship is one that that's one i wish i could do over and if you could do it over, what would you tell that person differently? You know what it would be? It would be, I would try and find a different way because what I did was I ended the relationship abruptly as opposed to sitting with it for a little bit and thinking of the options and working with that person to figure out how we could work together on it. And you know what's going to happen, Doug? That person is going to listen to this podcast. And oh. They're going to hear that. But now, and this is my last question, and, and I, we don't typically ask this question, but I want to ask this question of you because you've got a wealth of knowledge. You've got a wealth of experience. That you've been on a number of podcasts. What is the one question that you wish someone had actually asked you? When I started the business or at any point in my life? Just in general, based on your experience, based on what you, the value that you can add to people out there, what is the one question that has never been asked that you wish had been asked? Mm, boy, you're asking some tough ones. <laughs> These are juicy, juicy questions. Mm. But I'm just thinking you've got so much. You've got so We can never get all that out of you in 40 minutes. Well, I would say, look, I, I have experience, but I'm a student. I'm still learning. I'm not perfect by any stretch. I'm, I'm not the best. I'm just a guy who's got some experience. Jeez, I don't know, Dion. <laughs> I don't know. No, um, that's fair. That's fair. I, I, I don't know. I, I just say that I'm still trying to figure it out. Well, maybe I can ask a different type of question. Because okay. somebody asked me this just a few days ago, and I said, I need some time to think. And they said, because you shared your trauma in the early days, and I shared some of my trauma in the early days of parents and India and Singapore and, and my vow and all this stuff. And, and this person said, well, when it all ends, how do you want to be remembered? And I said, Let's pause on that for a couple of days. But I'm curious with where you were at that, at that stage and the value you made and all the life decisions and the luck and the work and every, Mexico and all of this stuff comes <laughs> through a beautiful ending chapter for Doug. How do you want that to be reflected? 
Well, for me, the business stuff is, in many regards, it, it speaks to what I've done, but who I am, it's all about my kids. So it is when I'm gone, my children, I have a beautiful 17-year-old daughter and a wonderful 15-year-old son. Um, I just want them to know I was a great dad. I want them to recognize and be able to tell anyone that asks, I love my dad. And that, to me, would be the greatest ending. My gosh, I'm all goosebumped and, and borderline choked up, Doug. What a great way to close the segment off. Your authenticity is, is really refreshing in a world of TikTok gurus and people that are putting up a front. So thank you for letting us in today. My pleasure. Yep. I've got nothing more to add. Doug, it was brilliant. Really thank you for your time. And if people wanted to reach out, follow your story, where do they go to? They can go to dougpick.com or say hello through LinkedIn. Lovely. And on that note, Doug, I wish you everything of the best. And once again, thank you so much. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Satish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by Bluemex. For more Year One content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord. <laughs>